Jesus came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of land that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus, tired from his journey, sat down there at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. The disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? For Jews use nothing in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God who was saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you do not even have a bucket, and the cistern is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this cistern and drank from it himself with his children and his flocks? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I shall give will never thirst. The water I shall give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come back. The woman answered and said to him, I do not have a husband. Jesus answered her, You are right in saying, I do not have a husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you people say that the place of worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Believe me, woman, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You people worship what you do not understand. We worship what we understand because salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And indeed, the Father seeks such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us everything. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one speaking with you. At that moment, the disciples returned. And we're amazed that he was talking with the woman, but still no one said, what are you looking for? Or why are you talking with her? The woman left her water jar and went to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I have done. Could he possibly be the Christ? They went out of the town and came to him. Meanwhile, the disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. So the disciples said to one another, Could someone have brought him something to eat?
Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say, in four months the harvest will be here? I tell you, look up and see the fields ripe for the harvest. The reaper is already receiving payment and gathering crops for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper can rejoice together. For here the saying is verified, that one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the work, and you are sharing the fruits of their work. Many of the Samaritans of that town began to believe in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me everything I have done. When the Samaritans came to him, they invited him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more began to believe in him because of his word, and they said to the woman, We no longer believe because of your word, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. The Gospel of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Good job. Lasting through that long reading. I chose a long reading on purpose, but we'll get to that later. But first of all, before we dive into those gospel readings, today is a glorious day in the church. At this very moment, all across the world, other side of the world, our Holy Father, Pope Francis, is visiting the city of Korokosh. Korokosh is a famous city in northern Iraq. It used to be entirely Christian. In 2014, ISIS conquered that town, wiped us out. The Christians fled. If you didn't flee, you were killed or forced to convert to their version of Islam. They desecrated our cathedral there, the Cathedral of the Immaculate Conception, which is the largest church in Iraq. They used the church. They beheaded all of our statues. They burned it, and they used the remains of the church as a firing range for target practice. They took out our sacred vessels, and you can still see it today. It's in a museum, riddled with bullets, chalices riddled. Because remember, the chalice is the most, one of the most sacred things for us. Desecrated it. But now in 2021, our Holy Father triumphantly rode into that city. Streets were packed with Christians again who have returned to rebuild the town. The cathedral, beautifully pristine, rebuilt from the ground up. Our Christian brothers and sisters in that town cheered. You should have seen them erupting in, in, in joy. It's a beautiful moment for our brothers and sisters there who have been there, mind you, for 2,000 years. That's how long the church has been there. And our Holy Father is following the words of Jesus in Luke. Our Lord said to, to Peter, Peter, I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. When you come back, I want you to turn around and strengthen the faith of your brothers. That's the role of the Pope. To strengthen the faith of those who are beaten down because they are Christian. Look it up. It's a triumph. At this very moment, this is what's happening in Iraq. And that city and that entire nation needs the words of Jesus Christ. Joyous occasion. I just wanted to share that since I was watching it this morning. I was all fired up, so. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And before we dive into the reading, I just want to do a mid-Lenten check. How y'all doing? 
We're halfway through Lent, by the way. Can you imagine that? We're almost, I was doing the calendar for March. It said Palm Sunday is the end of March. I said, what? Palm Sunday already? So we're in the middle of Lent now. How are you guys doing with your penances? You guys doing all right? Stay on the course. Stay strong. If you failed, get back on the horse and keep on going. Because the temptation is, oh, I've already, I've already given up on some of my Lenten practices. No, get back on the horse. Keep doing it. I want to hand out awards for the best parishioners who have done it. I won't say their names, but I just want to show you some of our parishioners and their witness. I won't say who their names are because they'll be embarrassed because they might be in here. One parishioner every Friday, I saw this, comes here at 7.30 a.m. in the morning, every Friday, stays until 3 p.m., kneeling there in the pew. When I saw her car after a couple hours, I said, oh, no, maybe she passed out. So I snuck in here thinking, oh, no, do I have to call the ambulance? Is she okay? And she was just there kneeling silently in prayer. Came back three hours later, same spot, kneeling quietly in prayer. She gets a gold star. <laughs> Another one of our high school parishioners has been taking cold showers since January 20th. All the way until Easter. He exceeded Lent. He began before Lent. So he gets an award. Another silver star. These are some of our parishioners. And they, I won't say their names because they're doing it out of love for the Lord. So they get awards. They beat us all. So, but keep on going, you guys. Keep on going. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want to read you this social media post written by a man named Jerry Miller. Looking for my daughter, born December 4th or 5th, 1978, in Covington, Kentucky, at St. Elizabeth Hospital. I have never stopped looking. Adoption records are sealed. Birth father, Jerry Miller, and birth mother, Kathy Cabbage. I had a brain aneurysm shortly after you were born and wasn't expected to live. You were adopted out while I was very sick. I just want you to know I have never forgotten. So here is this man, 40 years ago. He had a brain aneurysm shortly after the birth of his daughter. And the doctor said, you're not going to survive this. You're going to die. If you're not going to die, you're going to be a, a, a vegetable. You can't take care of this new daughter of yours. And then his girlfriend at the time was just 17. And she wasn't ready to be a single mom. And so during this distress, they gave up this beautiful baby. And then, amazingly... A few months later, he recovered to the, to, to, to the dismay of, of the doctors. I said, wow, he survived. And he never forgot that baby. Kept on looking for her. Kept on searching. And then when social media was invented, you know, social media just came into existence not too long ago. He says, ah, put out this post. I'll send it out. And then maybe somebody knows her, somebody who knows somebody. Just, you know, how social media works, the connections there in a desperate attempt to find this long-lost baby he had given up for adoption. Three years ago, Jerry Miller found his daughter. Of course, they didn't record it, but amazingly, he reported afterwards, 
just the tears that flow from his heart. And he says, I have never forgotten you. Oh, I wish it would have, we would have been there to watch them embrace each other after that long 40-year hiatus from, from, from each other. But every parent in here is not surprised at all. If you lost your children, you would never forget them. You would search the world for them. You would have crossed oceans and mountains, crossed valleys and deserts, just to look for your child. You will never forget them, would you? We hear, all hear the stories of children who go missing, sadly. And parents who never, ever forget, even after 20, 30, 50 years. Every day they think about that child. God is the same. Our Father is the same. We sometimes reduce Christianity to just being nice. I, I want to preach against that. For, for the last 30 years, especially, that was an emphasis. Just be nice. That's what Christianity is. No. Christianity is more than being nice. Or the reduction of Christianity to mere laws and regulations. Okay, do this, do that. Don't do that. Do this. No. That, that's important. But that's not what Christianity is. Christianity at its heart is all about a family. Think back now to the Jewish people. God forms them into 12 tribes. The 12 tribes of Israel were meant to be God's special family. But what happened? We see this in the book of Kings. Just like your family and my family, siblings, family members fight. We fight. The 12 tribes separated. Ten tribes in the north, two tribes in the south. Northern kingdom, southern kingdom. They became enemies towards each other. And God saw this and said, what are you doing? Why are you splitting up into two kingdoms? I meant you to become one family. But, as we all know, we're all stubborn, so we fight. So in the year 722, the mighty Assyrian Empire swoops down, conquers the northern ten tribes. They were scattered all throughout the Assyrian Empire. They were lost. They're now known as the lost tribes of Israel. We had no idea what, what, what happened to them. The remnants of the ten tribes became known as one of the characters today in our gospel, the Samaritans. This is why, if you notice as we began the gospel, when Jesus now is talking to this woman at the well, says to her, give me something to drink. And the woman responds, so this is the background to it. How can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? For Jews use nothing in common to Samaritans. You see, the remaining southern kingdom looked at the Samaritans as traitors, as half-breeds, as dogs. That's what, that was what the names they called them. Because the Samaritans, which were the remnants of the lost tribes of the northern kingdom, they began to intermarry with their conquerors. And they began to mix their Jewish religion with the pagan religions of the Syrians. And so the Samaritans were like a, were like a, were like a, a stepchild of the Jewish people. They hated them because they had betrayed the covenant with the Lord and they had intermingled with them and adopted many of their religious practices. 
which is why the Jews and the Samaritans never interacted. And so that's the background of this woman saying, how can you, a Jew, talk to me? We don't talk to each other. We're enemies. To kind of give you a geographical sense of it, the sense of an animosity towards them. So think of northern Israel today, Galilee, Nazareth, where our Lord grew up. Many of the Jews would have to travel south to get to Jerusalem in order to go to the Holy Temple. In between them was the region of Samaria. And so the Jews would take the long route. They would go down in the north and then go around the region of Samaria in order to get Jerusalem, which added weeks to their journey. Because if they traveled through Samaria, it meant that they would be in contact with these dogs, with these half-breeds. And if you interacted with them, you became unclean. And then the conversation of Jesus now deepens. Give me water. She says, you don't even have a bucket. And then the the conversation intensifies. Everybody who drinks of this well will always be thirsty again. But I have come with water that if you drink this, you will never, ever thirst again. You see, Jesus is deepening the conversation here. She begins on the surface, oh, mere water. But our Lord means much more. Give me this water, Jesus, or the woman replies to our Lord, so I may drink and never come back here again. And then the conversation takes a scary turn for her. Jesus says to her, go get your husband. And immediately her face must have drawn down. At this moment, our Lord reads her soul. Have you ever encountered a priest that could read your soul, by the way? I pray for this gift. You know, actually, I pray for this gift. There are instances where holy, holy priests, which is why I don't have this gift. Holy, holy priests can look at you and see your sins. One of the more modern examples is St. Padre Pio from Italy or St. John Vianney. St. John Vianney, he was a priest, a little parish priest in a small town, even smaller than Portola. He was a small town priest and ours, renowned for his holiness. Thousands of people would go to confession to him. They would travel from all over France to go to him. He would hear confessions for 16 hours a day. 16 hours a day. The lines were so long. It says that he would come out of the confessional. Church would be packed. And he'd look around. And he'd look for the biggest sinner. And he'd point. You. Come here now. He had that gift. I pray for that gift so I could look at you. So if I'm staring at you, if you see me in town... He better get to confession. So our Lord reads her soul and says, go get your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. You're right. You've had five husbands. And now you're living with somebody who's not your husband. Living together, cohabitation. We know this well in our our modern age. You're living with somebody who's not your husband. And she gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And then now this poor woman What do we do when our sins are on display? Change the subject. (laughs) He says to her now, our ancestors worship on this mountain, because I can see that you are a prophet. She begins to speak about the differences between Jews and Samaritans. And then our Lord turns it around again and says to the woman, the Messiah is coming, right? What is the background here? Remember the Jewish people in this, in this first century are waiting for the Messiah, the promised Messiah. 
the Messiah would do two primary things. The Messiah would conquer their enemies. And secondly, would bring the lost tribes back. That's the role of the Messiah. To bring the lost tribes, the the, the lost ten northern tribes, back to him. And notice now the intensity of the next line that Jesus does. We lose it in English because we're not Jews. But look at this background here. The woman says to him, I know the Messiah is coming, the one called the Christ. He will come and tell us everything. And here it is. Listen to this next line, Jesus says. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one speaking with you. Every Jew immediately would have known. Because what our Lord here just just echoed, he was echoing Genesis, that encounter with Moses, up with God on Mount Sinai. When Moses asked God, which God are you? What is your name, God, so I can can tell the other people? And God responds, tell them that I am sent you. So Jesus just said, he echoed that divine name right there at that moment. When Jesus said to her, I am. That is why this woman dropped everything and ran into town skipping, laughing, screaming in joy because that final moment had come. The Messiah has arrived. Jesus now has come to gather the lost children of Israel. In this moment, God has become like Jerry Miller. Jerry Miller never forgot his daughter for 40 years. God has never forgotten his lost children for seven centuries. God has not forgotten us. That is why Jesus comes, because he's come to gather in the lost, straying humanity. See, this is the reason why he comes to restore and to find those lost ten tribes. Why later on Jesus would establish 12 apostles? Because now the mission is not just the Jewish people. It's by extension to the whole world. You and me. We are the lost children of God. And God will stop at nothing to get us home. My brothers and sisters, this is the beauty and the joy of Christianity. It is a God who is relentless. He will not stop. Even if I puke on him, even if I turn away from him, even if I run as fast as, away, as, fast as I can from him. He will never stop seeking you and me out. Why? Because he is our father. And just like you and your children, you will never stop searching for your beloved. Now do you see why when we do Christianity down to merely being nice or rules, it's such a pale, superficial reduction of the drama of salvation. God is Jerry Miller. Make yourself be found. Allow yourself. That's what he wants. Make it easy for him. Because our Father wants us home. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.